September 8th, 2019. Uproxx interview with Robert Moore. So when Joe said, I'm going to go kill someone, you don't think he's serious about it any more than you would on a reality TV show. You think he's trying to provoke, or at least that's what I thought. But then, as time went on, and he did this not just to me, he did it on social media, he would talk about killing Carol all the time on social media. No one took it seriously. Carol tried to file a restraining order against him at one point, and they wouldn't grant it to her unless he physically assaulted her. It turns out the feds were keeping an eye on it, but at least from Carol's perspective, and from my perspective, it seemed like no one was taking that seriously. Then you find out later that, in fact, the feds had been watching him for years and had been, in fact, planning a sting operation with the hitman. That's another thing. You go into this story thinking that Joe is the kooky one, but then you go back to Carol's backstory, and she is equally compelling. What are some of the bullet points of Carol's fractal weirdness? Carol Baskin, she ran away from home when she was 15 years old and hitchhiked up and down the coast. She gets married when she's 17 to this guy. During this time, she was already obsessed with cats. She loved wild cats, bobcats. She just had a love of these wild, difficult cats. That love, I think, of wildness and adventure extended over into her life and the decisions she makes. She gets into a fight with her husband when she's 19, so she storms off and she's walking down the road, and this guy pulls up with a gun on the passenger seat and says, Hey, do you want to get in? You can hold the gun on me, and that way you'll feel safe. 99 out of 100 people, maybe 999 out of 1,000 people would not get in that car, but Carol did, because she thought, this is not boring. So she, get in the car. so she got into the car and started having an affair with this man, Don Lewis. He turns out to be a millionaire, but he didn't tell her that at first. Eventually, she ended up marrying him. Then, in 1997, I think, he mysteriously disappeared, and that case has never been solved. In the aftermath, she inherits all the land where they had built this menagerie of cats. And she has kind of an awakening where she realizes they actually shouldn't be keeping cats in cages and shouldn't be breeding them. So she becomes this crusader to try and stop people from breeding exotic cats in captivity. That's how she came into conflict, eventually, with Joe Exotic. Do you think there's something inherently? Do you think there's something inherent to exotic cats that attracts kooky people? Yeah, I do. I don't know if I'd use the word kooky necessarily, but like extreme people. Because if you think about it, over the course of thousands of years, we've bred cats to love us, to the extent that cats love us. We bred them to be kind to us, to not hurt us, to need us. Exotic cats have none of those qualities. It's something about that roughness and that wildness and that danger that attracts these people to them. They don't want the easy thing. They want the hard thing. I think that the logic extends into their life. When they come to a fork in the road and there's an easy, safe choice and a difficult, scary choice, they tend to take the difficult, scary one every time, and it makes their lives really wild. People keep telling me when they hear the story, I cannot believe these people are real. I can't believe this really happened. The only way I can explain it is, it had something to do with this love of wildness. Imagine if you went through your life, and every time you made a decision, you took the risky, exciting option. Your life would take on a pretty strange path as well. I emailed Robert, and I didn't even get into a whole thing about Don wasn't a millionaire when I met him. I said, I just read your interview on Uproxx. I don't think you get me. I don't choose the hard path because I like having hardships, and I cannot connect it to wildcats in any way that makes sense. 
I choose the hard path because someone has to, and most people won't. I was doing it before The Road Less Traveled was published in 1978 because I watch people intensely. Most people are not going to buck the status quo to make the world a better place for all of us. They won't, so I will. Reagan was credited with saying, if not us, who? And if not now, when? But Rabbi Hillel coined a very similar expression more than 2,000 years ago. One of the very first pieces of animated imagery that we put on our website had the call to action. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? I thought I had made those lines up, but apparently the thoughts were subconsciously inspired by Hillel and Reagan. That was the end of my email to Robert. On another topic, Dr. Jim Sanderson has been very thought-provoking lately. He was talking about the dilemma of trophy hunting to save wild cats. Jeff Flocken, the CEO of Humane Society International, had told the audience that Botswana had instituted a hunting ban on predators such as lion, leopard, cheetah, hyena. Rebecca Klein, Botswana cheetah, was standing next to Jim and said that all of her collared cheetahs were dead within 10 days. Ranchers started killing all lions, leopards, cheetah, and hyenas. Apparently, the only reason farmers allowed predators to exist was the possibility of having financially lucrative hunts. Once the hunting ban went into effect, the value of predators plunged to below zero. That is, they were now considered pests with negative value, so the killing started. Without effective means to prevent killing, predators outside protected areas were effectively eliminated. Colleen Begg, Nyasa Lion Project, later in the week told Jim the same thing. Both signed the pro-lion hunting paper. Luke Hunter also signed. This was my response to Jim's suggestion that veganism is the answer. I think virtual and augmented reality renditions of exotic cats is the solution. If the only way anyone could see a wild cat was in the cat's home environments via that imagery being captured primarily by remote cameras, and then brought to the masses via installations where they might walk in a virtual forest or experience them in a headset or even a documentary, then people would protect the places that are home to the animals. All of the wild cats value to humans based on what people value most, entertainment as opposed to clean air and water, has to be restricted to this one very limited way of enjoying them. It's as simple as supply and demand. When the supply is so hard to get, the demand increases the price exponentially, and that's what is needed to provide the protections our wild places lack. I agree that veganism is critical, but how do you make people prefer a vegan lifestyle? I think we've seen that people won't choose healthy, sustainable food choices, even when their health and the planet's health demand it. If we can't get there by logic, then what would people trade toward it? There is no animal on the planet more majestic than the cat. If we fixed every captive wildcat today, there wouldn't be any in cages 10 to 20 years from now. If we closed every zoo now, we could drive adoption even faster. That increasing value of cats in the wild is what protects whole ecosystems. If an environment can sustain a healthy population of big cats, that means the whole system is in balance all the way down the line. That can't happen if forests are being burned for crops to feed hoofstock to feed people. I think people would trade their burgers for plant-based options if that was the only way they and their children would ever experience wild cats again.
If you're enjoying my diary, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find other ways to connect to me over at bigcatrescue.org forward slash carol.baskin.